Greetings in the wonderful name of Jesus. What an honor for me to be in your house today. Today we've had an awesome meeting in Durbanville. Uh, people were just blessed. I was blessed with the word and I do believe that the word will impact your life. Uh, now before we get into the message, I would just like to uh, give a bit of feedback on the financial contribution concerning um, the donation we want to make towards Johan Meiren in Lesotho and the project he has in feeding orphans there. For those of you that haven't watched the message last Sunday, in the introduction part of the message I just shared the vision of um, what we are doing and uh, you know how we want to get involved in, a, um, in the ministry uh, of Johan Meiring. Johan Meiring is a person I met about a year ago and uh, he feeds orphans. He's got about 750 orphans that he feeds uh, on a weekly basis in the uh, Lesotho area around, uh, around uh, rounding the town that he lives in, which is called Vepener. He doesn't have a vehicle. He carries the food where he wants to be, uh, where he wants to uh, cook the food and all those kind of things, and uh, then borrows a vehicle here, makes use of a taxi there. It is just a very difficult way, uh, you know, in which he is, uh, you know, helping these kids, uh, and he needs a vehicle. And I felt in my heart, to uh, donate the vehicle to him from Dynamic Love Ministries. Uh, you know, our hearts got so knit together that he was, um, he asked me if he can't work uh, with Dynamic Love Ministries. And uh, I just believe that this partnership that we have together is going to reach a lot of people in the area. He's a full-on grace believer. He preaches grace to these kids. These people are getting, these kids are getting a wonderful foundation in the grace message. The way he works is, uh, very simple. He's got congregation members that are willing to house kids and then he feeds and clothes them. Uh, and in that way, the church is involved in helping these children. Now, uh, with us giving this vehicle, uh, somebody came and made, made a, a, a nice donation towards this project and then we were still needing about $2,000. Now, last week we got in $1,200 and we are still in need of another $800. So, um, if you feel in your heart to give towards this project, uh, we will really appreciate it. Uh, your giving will make an influence and have a great impact in his life. We already purchased the vehicle, but there's some extras that needs to be put onto the vehicle. And, um, you know, there's some things that we are doing uh, on the vehicle that's, that cost some money. So um, that will really be appreciated if you give towards this. Like I said, we're only needing another $800 or 8,000 Rand. Thank God, you know, the Rand dollar is very good at the moment, um, you know, beneficial for us in South Africa. The Rand weakened, so the dollar is so much stronger. So for those of you that are part of the internet uh, church, thank you so much, or that just watch on a regular basis that feels that you benefit from the ministry. If you feel to give, we would really appreciate that. And those of you that are in South Africa, we need 8,000 Rand. Thank you so much for making your contribution. Uh, last time I forgot to say how to make a donation. It's very simple. You just go to the donate button on our website and there you will see the info on how to make a donation towards Dynamic Love Ministries. If you are in South Africa, you get the Standard Bank uh, you know, information there and you can make your donation that way. Other than that, you can use PayPal. If you are in the United States and you need a tax receipt, you can also see that the donation can be made towards Safe Harbor, which is an organization that I work with in the U.S. that helps me um, you know, to give people a tax receipt and they just uh, put the money over into my account. Uh, thank you so much for doing that. If you decide to send a check to Safe Harbor, please let us know 
because you will put it in the mail and we will see it uh, later, only later when it gets deposited into our account so that we don't try and raise funds for money we've already received. So if you decide to uh, mail us a check, just let us know so that we don't uh, raise money um, and we've already have, we already have the money and we just don't know about it because we want to be honorable in this. We need um, you know, that 20,000 Rand or $2,000 of which we already received 12,000 Rand or $1,200. Thank you so much uh, for that. Enjoy this message today. This message has really impacted my life. It's something that is close to my heart. The new foundation for a new experience. God bless you. Amen. I want to greet everybody that's watching via the internet. It's an honor to have you with us uh, when we are preaching this message. And uh, I want to thank everybody via the web for uh, spreading the message, sharing the link, telling your friends about it. And um, you can quickly write now, if you want, just share a link, share the link uh, um, for, for this uh, message with somebody. Today I'm going to be preaching on a new foundation for a new experience. Um, uh, you know, we have had so many experiences in church. We've had so many experiences when it comes to us and God and our relationship with God. Um, but we've had it many times from a foundation which was not God-ordained. And God has come to bring a brand new foundation from where we can have an experience with Him. Uh, we must realize that uh, experience is, you know, the word knowledge in the Bible, uh, when the Bible says that we must have knowledge of God or to know God, it's the word experiential knowledge in the Greek. It's not just to have cognitive knowledge, but it, it's a knowledge that comes, a knowing that comes by feeling, to experience God. You know, like my wife and I and me and my children and even us that know each other in the congregation, we know each other by something that's much more than just knowledge. It is experience as well. So God has come and He wants you to experience Him. He wants you to know that He's a Father, not by reading it just in the Bible, and thank God for the Bible, and that we can read it there, but uh, He wants you to know Him as Father. He wants you to experience Him as Father. So uh, He has come and made it possible for us as humans, to have a brand new foundation from where we can experience God. Now, um, just as a, 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 you guys know this very well, but I want to just say this as a foundation again. The Bible says that through the law is the knowledge of sin. Okay? Now, we've always thought that when Paul said that through the law is the knowledge of sin, that we didn't know what was wrong. Uh, you know, we didn't know that we had sin, and then the law came and told us what was wrong, for we never knew that murder was wrong until the law said it was wrong. And that is not true. That, that is not true. The law didn't come to tell us what is wrong, for we were ignorant of what is wrong. Man knew what was wrong from the beginning. Even if you look at Abraham, for instance, Abraham came and he said that Sarah was his wife, you know, and kind of told a lie. She was his half-sister. But, um, and, and then the king took Sarah, and then uh, before the king had intercourse with Sarah, God appeared to the king and said to the king, you're a dead man. And he said, why? He said, because you took another man's wife. He says, well, I never knew. If I knew, I wouldn't have done that and sinned. So how did they know that it was sin? 
It was before the law was even given, they knew that that was not the right thing to do. But when the Bible says through the law is the knowledge of sin, it talks about the experiential knowledge of sin. So the more the law is there, the more you will experience sin. Now for those that's listening via the internet, this is not a bad sound recording. It's a very good sound recording. It's recording the rain. That's on the roof. <laughs> okay, so it's raining. Thank God for this. It's a bit loud noise. But okay, let's see if I can shout loud enough. Through the law is the experience of sin. What that means is, should you become legalistic, you're going to experience more and more sin. You're going to find sin become more and more powerful. So God had to come and change the platform from where we can experience life. Because in Adam, the platform of I'm going to observe what's right and wrong was laid so that we can have a life experience from that platform. But when Christ came and He fulfilled the law and gave His life and the reality of Him seated as a human being the high priest of mankind in the Godhead, He gave that platform as the platform from where we can experience life. Now this is what Paul said in Romans 7 and we're going to read it even in Galatians that he said that from a law from the law or the observance of an external commandment we've got the experience of sin. It didn't sound right, you know, when Paul said it and even when I say it today, you know, like last night somebody um, phoned me watched my program on television and he said uh, so are you saying the law is fulfilled that I can now go and murder my, my neighbor and take his wife? No, no, what I'm saying is the more you try to... And, and you know, that just reveals what the law does. Because this person is under the law, so what does he actually want to do? He wants his neighbor's wife. <laughs> That's why the first thing, when you say the law is fulfilled, the first thing that comes to his mind is, can I now take my neighbor's wife? <laughs> you see, because the law can never set you free from sin. But grace can. Amen. Grace can set you free. Grace can give, give you the idea of, listen, I am not staying away from my neighbor's wife because the Ten Commandments says I should not do it, but I'm, I am loving people and caring for people, and, I, and I'm not desiring my neighbor's wife, and I don't want to kill my neighbor because of my revelation of his value to God and how precious he is to God. Amen. And when we mix these things, we find mixed emotions and a mixed experience. God doesn't want you to live, uh, to have a life experience of bondage. He doesn't want you to have a life where you all the time feel bound by sins and bound by, I want to do good, but I can't do it. He's come to bring a system where we can experience what it is to have His quality of life free from our efforts. That's what He's come to do. He's come to give us that experience. And like I put on Facebook in the week, I said, what can we expect uh, to experience once we are under the message of grace? We can experience to have love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, you know, uh, handling life, uh, having a power inside us where life will not get too much for us. All of that effortlessly. Just coming natural. You know, for an athlete, it's not difficult to train. It's not an effort for him to train. He wants to train. He gets frustrated if he doesn't train. But for a person who's not an athlete, 
You know, it's an effort to get him to train. It's, an, it's, it's great effort. So what God has come to do is he's come to change the whole platform from where we operate. Where we don't operate from having effort to do something, but where he lives in us and gives us his life. But unfortunately, it's like the one guy I spoke to in the week as well. You know, I said to him, you don't have to pay your, I said, you don't have to pay your tithes for God to bless you. You know, and the church is not obligated or forced by the Apostle Paul to give their money, you know, but Paul said it can be a free will offering. In other words, if you really want to do it, you can do it. And then this guy, this is the, then this guy said to me, um, but what if they are immature Christians, you know, because they will then not give and then the church is not going to have money. So in other words, the, and then he says that's why we must preach the law system to get the immature to at least give, you know, because how are we going to run our church? No, no, then you close your church. But why are you going to mix things, you know? Why are you going to mix things to get the gospel to work? No, you just preach the truth and tell the, if you want to call him an immature Christian, has got a passion in his heart and a revelation in his heart about the value of people, the innocence of people, that Christ took away the sin of all men, that he could realize what Christ has done for him, and that, that new experience brings forth a new life. That's what God has come to do for us. Now I want to read from um, 1 Corinthians, and I'm going to talk on repentance, what true repentance really is. And I want to read, sorry, I want to read from Romans 12. It says here, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, this is Romans 12, verse 1 to 4, um, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may experience or prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Okay. Let me, let, let me explain to this way. It says, I... I, I pray you, or I beseech you, brethren, therefore, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. Okay, now, I want to use uh, an example. Yefer, just come and stand here quickly. I want to use an example here. The word present there is not, uh, this is what the word present means. It means you have somebody, this is Yefer Bauer, okay? I'm presenting him to you. Okay? I'm presenting him to you. Now it says, present your body. In other words, you, you must present your body as a holy, living sacrifice acceptable unto God. So what do you do? You present your body. You say, my body, body, I want to tell you, by the mercies of God, I present this body, not as a body. Now what we see in present there is, live a holy life. But that's not what it says. It's not, the Greek word there is not live a holy life. The Greek word is present your body for what it truly is. Your body is acceptable to God. Why? Because Jesus accepted, God accepted mankind in Christ. So what do we do? We say, I am accepted. I am holy. This body is a holy sacrifice unto God. So I present it as holy because of what Christ has done. Acceptable to God. Not not damnable, but acceptable to God. So you come and you stand and you look at your body, you say, my life, who I am, I am acceptable, I am holy before God. 
I am a living sacrifice before God, acceptable before Him. And by doing that, what do we do? That is our reasonable service unto God. So if you want to do service unto God, we always thought service unto God is what Johan is doing, you know. And we supporting Johan and we buying a vehicle to give to people that's got orphans and having a mission station. We thought that is the way we present. But the way we present is not that way. The way, the reasonable service we have unto God is to acknowledge what God has done to our bodies in Jesus Christ. To say we are acceptable, we are holy, not because of our doing, but His doing. Donkey effort. Amen. So, this is, do you see the new platform from where we can have a new experience? The new platform is, I can never present myself as a sinner anymore. And I always put it this way, now when the good news sounds too good for me, I always ask myself this question, who's the most powerful, Adam or Jesus? You must ask, just ask yourself that question. When Adam sinned, who did he sin? On whose behalf did he sin? On the behalf of everybody. And then if you go and read in Romans, it clearly says that those who didn't even commit the sins that Adam committed were made sinners because of the sin of Adam. So it was not the, my sin or the sin of the people that came after Adam that made them sinners. It was the sin of Adam that made them sinners. Now, who's the most powerful, Jesus or Adam? Then the Bible says in Romans 5.19 that Jesus Christ came as the last Adam and obeyed on behalf of every person so that righteousness can now be a free gift to every man. In the same way with Adam, sin was a free gift to every man, free of man's contribution to sin. And man became sinners because of another man's sin. In the very same way, and in a more powerful way, the Bible actually says, that through the obedience of one, when he was righteous, righteousness was given as a free gift to every man. And now, if you want to do God's service, what do you do? You present your body in the light of what Christ has done. So I tell you that this body, who I am, I am holy, acceptable before God. Perfect. Because of who? Why? Because of the mercies of God. Let's read the verse again. I beseech you therefore, brethren, how? By the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. So if I say my body is holy, acceptable, alive, Unto God. Why? Because of the mercies of God. Because God was merciful in Christ. What is that? That is my reasonable service. And by doing this, what will happen? I will not be conformed to this world, but I will be transformed. How? By the renewal of my mind. Because my mind is, not, is, is now not anymore bound into, I'm a bad sinner, and I need to please a unhappy God in heaven that has got a list of rules and regulations that I must obey before He will smile over me. No. God's message, the good news message, is that God loves the world. It doesn't say the church, it says the world. Gave His Son to the world so that the world can believe. Believe what? Believe what Jesus did with sin. 
believe what happened upon the cross. The cross is everything, you know. Like Dieter said now before the service, he said somebody stood up and said, which mountain do you want to receive your message from? From uh, Golgotha? Or do you want to receive it from Sinai? Where do, you want to receive, where do you want to be preached to from? I'd rather have the message that was, that, that, that's the cross, than the one that was on Sinai. But what we have done in church traditionally, we've done what Peter did. When Peter saw on the mountain, he saw Jesus and was glorified, and then there was also Elijah and Moses that appeared together with Jesus, then this is what Peter said. And the Bible says, Peter said this not knowing what he was saying. He said, let's build a temple for Jesus and Moses and Elijah. And that's what we want to do in the church. We want to build a temple for all these three. We want to build a temple for the, what does Moses talk about? The law. Elijah talks about the prophets. And Jesus talks about the gospel. It talks about housing the law, the prophets, and Jesus in one message. We cannot house the three. He says, this is my son, hear him. So the final message that God has for the world is the word, Jesus, which is what He wants to say to every person. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, because He represents the whole of mankind in His body, He's the high priest of mankind. When the high priest was accepted, the people were accepted. This is what, what he says. You are holy and acceptable before God. When we agree on God accepting us, then we are partakers of this kingdom and we are saved. When we don't want to agree, what happens? Then we conform to the world. Because what is the world? The world are the people that don't want to say what God says about them in Jesus Christ. We so easily believe the global message that comes from Adam, but we don't want to believe the global message that comes from Jesus. And that is the good news. The good news. So how are we going to be... How, how are we going to... Uh, approve the perfect will of God. Let's read it there again. And be not transformed, um, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the, by, by the renewing of your mind. How? That you may, or, or why? That you may prove or experience what is the good and the acceptable and the perfect will of God. How are you going to experience the perfect will of God? The only way you're going to experience the perfect will of God is by saying, I am holy. <laughs> I am acceptable. I am perfect. How are we perfect? Through one sacrifice. Hebrews 10 verse 14. He says, through one sacrifice He has perfected forever them that are sanctified by that sacrifice. And that one sacrifice, who was it for? For mankind. Hallelujah. Isn't that good news? You know, you cannot experience... L let me put it this way. You know, um, I look at my three boys, and I heard my oldest say about my youngest. He said, he will easily be an engineer. Because it's in him. You know? Now, when my youngest can believe... In what he really, if, if I come and I indoctrinate him and I say to him, you're actually a natural doctor. 
You know, he will, he will believe it cognitively, you know, and, and there will be a draw, an inner draw to go and study to be a medical doctor. But if I can look at what he really is, and I can share with him the truth about him, and he can believe it, he'll be one of the best engineers. My son says he knows he's an engineer because when they came into the garage, they saw this, the lawnmower's engine was off and he's put it on his go-kart. <laughs> you know, and he's 10 years of age. You know, so <laughs> it's just in him, you know. He, he always, he, the wheels is not, you know, the, the skateboard, if it's got wheels on it, it's wrong. He must take the wheel off for some reason. You know, if he gets a little toy, he must strip it. You know, it's not there to play with, it's to strip. That's why it's there. So it's, it's inside him. And if, if you can, if he can acknowledge the good that is in him, if he can acknowledge, you know, who he is and what he is, you will find that that truth will manifest. And that's what God has come to do. He has come to take away the sin of all of man, to give a new platform from where we can believe a new truth, a new reality, so that we can have an experience based on that reality. And that reality's power is not equal to the power of this world, but it is called the resurrection power. When Christ was raised from the dead, a new person was formed. The person that was formed was called a glorified human being seated in the Godhead. He is our high priest. What's true in the high priest is true in us. When we believe this and when we can acknowledge this truth as, our, as, as true about us, when I present my body and I say this body is according to what this scripture says, I've got a new mind about who I am and what I am because of Christ, then I find that that resurrection power manifests the kingdom of God in me. And that is a much holier, much more joyful, much more peaceful life than what you could ever experience by your own works. Now let's go to Acts 17. I preach this, those of you that followed me in the US, you know, um, you must bear with me preaching on this verse again. I think I preached on it 35 times when I was in the US. And I'm going to preach on it again because I want to share this with you guys here. I touched on it before I went to America, but I, I've got seen some new stuff in this. This whole passage that I'm going to talk about now talks about repentance and the new platform God created for us to have a new experience. This was when Paul preached to the uh, people on Mars's hill and um, in Athens. We preached to the philosophers, the Greek philosophers. And uh, there's some beautiful truths in here. It says, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars's hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive, that the, I, I perceive that in all things you are very superstitious. For I passed by and beheld your devotions. I found an altar with an inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore you ignorantly worship. Him will I declare unto you. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven, and earth dwells not in temples made with hands, neither is he worshipped with man's hands as though he needs anything, seeing he gives to all life and breath and all things. Now let's see what Paul cleverly does in Acts 17 here. This is a, the, and, and I want everyone to pay attention to what I'm about to say. This is so powerful. Paul comes and he challenges the Greek philosophers. You must realize they've been reasoning there for hundreds of years, gathering together, talking about different philosophies and how to serve God. 
and uh, how to please God. And Paul comes with something that's so radically different to what they believe that it was almost impossible for them to accept it. And this is what he says. He says, I see that you've built many temples for God's here. But God cannot even live in a temple. He's the God of he you believe he's the God of the heaven and the earth. So how can he live in a temple? So what was he actually saying? He says that you think that your reasonable service to God is to build a temple. But God cannot even live in a temple. You've never been called to build a temple for God. So they come, it changes the whole foundation from where they think. They think that God placed them on the earth for the purpose of serving God. For the purpose of bringing some service of building some temple for God. But if you look in the New Testament, you will see, or not even just in the New, but Jesus, He said, He will rebuild the temple. It's not our job to build God a temple. God will build His own temple, for He cannot live in temples built by hands. He can only live in a certain kind of a temple, which is a human being. And only He could build that place. So here He comes and He says to the Greek philosophers, you guys think... I want to talk to you. I see that you are very superstitious. Okay? You don't believe the right thing. Bijgeloofig means, jy het een geloof, want jy geloof wat daar bijgekom het. Nee, jy geloof nie die rechte ding nie. You're believing the wrong thing. You believe that you need to build a temple for your God. But let's reason together. If the God you believe in is the God of the heaven and the earth, how could he tell you to build a temple? Because he cannot live in a temple built by hands. And then he goes on further, and I like the Afrikaans there. Het iemand Afrikaanse Bijbel hier so? Kan jy hom gof my die alleen? Ek net gauw die versie daar kry. Is dit 25? 24. Die God wat die wereld gemaakt het en alles wat daarin is... Um, Hy wat die Heere van die hemel en die aarde is, woon nie in tempels met hande gemaakt nie. Ook word hy dier die mens, mense hande, ook nie dier mense hande gedien nie. Ook word hy nie dier mense hande gedien nie. I'm just reading what Paul said. Some get upset when I read the Bible. They asked Joseph Prince, they said to him, what upsets you the most? He says that the church cannot read. It's true. He says, you think that you need to serve God with your hands. No. If God gives everybody breath and life and doesn't need anything, how can the conclusion of all your philosophy be that we must build Him a temple and we must serve Him? Your conclusion, your platform from where you reason is wrong. God doesn't need you to serve Him. You cannot serve God with hands. Neither can you build Him a temple. So he said to the Greek philosophers, basically, you guys have been reasoning here for the last 600 years and you've been wrong all the time. And here all these temples are the proof of your ignorance. It's a hard word. For the platform from where you experience God is wrong. We should not be on a platform from where we say, I want my experience from God where I serve God. 
The only way you can serve God here is by acknowledging His service to you. Your reasonable service. Your reasonable service. Now we've taken reasonable as your minimum service. No, no. Reasonable means if you've gone and you sat down and you reason about this thing and you come to like a mathematical conclusion, this is the only conclusion you can come to. That is that I can present my body and say, this body, who I am, is holy, blameless, above reproach because of Jesus. And that's your reasonable service unto Him. And if you can acknowledge that, you will not be conformed to the world, to the Greek philosopher's way of living. We don't want to be conformed to the Greek philosopher's way of living. Where they say we must build God a temple and we must serve Him with hands. Our God doesn't need our service. Do you know why I have a secretary? Because I cannot handle everything. God doesn't need servants because He cannot handle everything. He's quite okay. It's like, oh my goodness, I created a kingdom that's now too big for me, God Almighty, to handle. So let me make some servants here so they can help me handle the kingdom because I can't handle it myself. If you say God needs servants, you are saying that He's not Almighty. He doesn't need any servant. You cannot serve Him with hands as if He needs anything. Let's read that verse again, verse 26. Verse 25. Ook word hy nie dier mensehande gedien asof hy aan iets behoefte het nie. In Afrikaans, also is he not served with man's hands as if he needs anything. Do you see Paul coming here, changing the complete platform from where man experiences God. And the experience you have on the platform of human service unto God is the following. Fighting, pride, judgmental, judgmental attitude, where you always say, he hasn't served as much as him, he's good, he's bad. You find division, and all kinds of evil, we're still going to read that in Galatians, is born from that platform. But he comes with a brand new way of reasoning, a brand new platform. Listen to what he says here. Uh, um, verse 20, 26. And he has made of one blood all nations of men, for to dwell on the face of the earth, and has determined the times before appointed, and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if happily they may feel after him and find him, though he be not far from any one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as certain of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring." For as much then as we are his offspring, the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead, or the Trinity, is like unto gold, or silver, or stone, or graven by art of man's devices. And the times of ignorance God has winked at, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Now let me explain what he's saying there. He says, listen, if God didn't make you, if you are not on the earth, if the, if the platform of reasoning is not that we must build Him a temple or serve Him. What, what is it then? God made of one blood all people, placed them on the earth for this purpose, that they may seek after Him. Now, 
that seek after him, we've also looked at that in a very legalistic way, as if, as, as of God wegkrijperkie speel. You know, no, no, God does not play hide and seek with man. He's not here to play games with us. He's here to have a wonderful love relationship with mankind from where he influences your heart, like Derek said before the service, in such a way that your heart overflows with love and respect for what he's done and for who you are. If you think, I'm just a slave, I'm just a servant here, you know, if, if you look at some of the, the movies of servants, you know, if you think of, you know, I heard the thing the other day, it was so shocking, um, that, you know, in the old South Africa, it was like this, if you walk on the pavement and the black guy comes on the pavement, he must go into the street because the white guy walks on the pavement. That's wrong, man. That's not right. <laughs> because that, he's just a servant. He's just a slave. So how do you think about slaves? No man, I walk here, I'm the boss, the slave walks there. If you think you're just a slave, you will have the respect that you have for a slave for yourself. But if you think I'm the God kind, I've been made in the very image and likeness of God, you will treat yourself like you would treat deity. Because you know what and who you are. You cannot think of yourself as a slave. You cannot think of yourself as just a worker in the kingdom of God. No, no, you should think of yourself as God's friend. You should think, think of yourself as the very dwelling place of the Almighty. You must think of yourself as the place where God came and settled down to rest. You must think of yourself as the object created by Him to pour out all His love. You must think of yourself as the only being in existence that can really reflect who and what God is. Amen. Because that's who you are. And if you have that kind of respect for who you are and what you are, you will find, you know, if that's written in the very core of your belief, you'll find you treat yourself and others completely different. Jesus came to change the platform from where we reason about who and what we are, why we are here. So we can have a different experience of God. So why did He make us? He places on the earth to seek Him. That seek Him, uh, and, and, I, and I think I said it here as well, is like the way I was seeking a wife, um, you know, or a girlfriend when I was still in school and in university. That seeking talks about a natural desire, you know. So I just had a natural inclination towards having uh, a girlfriend. You know, it's natural. It's just, I've been made that way, I've been created that way, I've got a desire for a woman. That's just the way I am. And that's the way most of us here are, you know. If you're a girl, there's a natural desire for a man. That is the word seek there. The word seek there is not, he's gone and now you must seek him and when, when the seek meter in heaven hits green, he'll reveal the little pinky of who he is. The seeking there is he's designed man to be a being that will never be satisfied with anything else but God. That's just the way it is. And, and the very same thing was with Adam and Eve, you know. When Adam named all the animals, the Bible says after he named all the animals, he couldn't find anyone that was like him. He needed the God kind. Then God took of Adam, which was the God kind, in the image and the likeness of God, and created a wife. Okay, And then he said, now this is flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. In that same desire, that seeking for a wife that Adam had, the same way he said he made man to have a natural seeking and desire for God.
And then it says there, and the reason He made us like that is so that we can happily experience Him. What it means is, He made man to have a natural inclination to have a desire to, uh, to be in a relationship with God, so that we can have a happy experience with God. Let us read it again. It says that they may seek the Lord if happily they may feel after Him. Okay? That they may seek the Lord if they, if they happily may feel after Him and find Him. So the reason why He made man and placed man on the earth was not to build Him a temple, was not to work for Him, but to be a being that can have a natural desire, to, like a husband would have a desire for, a, for his wife, or a, a man for a, for a woman, we will have a natural desire for God, so that He can come then and reveal who He is to us, and that we can have a happy experience of who God is, and happily feel after Him. That's why we were made. Why did God make husband and wife? He made a husband and wife, and, and this is the way I believe it is, we, he didn't, you know, you don't have to believe it or not, but He didn't make your wife as your fighting partner. The one to fight with. No, <laughs> that's not why she's made. That's not why she's there. The reason why a husband and wife comes together is, you know, is number one, to have a happy experience together. That they can enjoy one another. Because it's someone that understands me, that thinks like me, that can understand my reasoning, I can understand hers, that we can think together, live together happily. That's why this husband and wife. And from there we will have children and fruit. And the very same reasons why God made man. So that we can have, that we can have a natural desire for God, a happy experience together from where fruit is born. That's what he says there. And now he goes on. He says, so that we might find God. Because this is the only way in which you will really find God, who God really is. Because God is not a slave master. His plan was not to give you an outside commandment to guide your life. His plan, under the Old Testament there was that. But under the New, he gave us the Holy Spirit that talks in our heart. Amen. So now, he goes on, and this is what he says at the end. He says, therefore, we should not think of God in the form of, uh, 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 you know, artwork and stones. Because we are, listen, we are His offspring. What does that mean? If you say God is your offspring, or, or I mean you are God's offspring, it means you are saying that I am made by Him and I'm born from Him. He's my Father. So if you say God is your offspring, how can you worship a stone? You need to worship a God that at least looks like you. If you're the offspring of God, how can you worship a stone? Oh. <laughs> it says He's not far from us. I've preached this here before. God is not far from us. He says we are His offspring. He's not far from us. Like my son is not far from me. He looks like me. You know, the youngest one, the other day I came to the um, uh, entrepreneurs, you know, so I took the stuff he's selling there to the school. And the one lady says, oh, I see the daddy also brings stuff. I said, yeah. So I, I put it down there. The other lady says, man, but that boy looks exactly like you. I said, thank God. 
<laughs> he looks exactly like you. You know, he's not far from me. Even in temperament. He's not, I'm not far from him. We are very close together. So if he's my offspring and I'm not far from him, when you see him, you see me. And if my son goes and looks for his father and he goes and make a little stone on the hill outside of Malmesbury and he prays to the stone, that's crazy. For he's my offspring and he says, no, I'm the offspring of my father. And then he goes and worship a dog or an animal or some weird thing. No, no. If he looks for somebody to worship that is his God that he comes from or his father where he comes from, it must at least look like him. So what Paul was trying to say here, there's a new platform from where we can experience God. It's not the platform of serving God. It's a platform of God became a human and that human is seated in the Godhead and if you are looking for a God to worship, he must at least be a human. He must at least be human. That's what he's trying to say. And then he goes on, he says, Therefore God is calling all people to repent. The word repent there is the word metanoia. I've preached it many times here. A change of mind. It actually means a change of factory from where your thought is produced in the Greek. If you study to the real root. It's a change of factory that will produce your thought. So I don't have the factory of servant anymore that produces my thought on what to do for God every day. I've got the factory that produces my thought is offspring, uh, family life, uh, not far from me, the same kind, not to build a temple, not to serve with hands. So I've got a different foundation from where I experience God. And I find I start to experience acceptance. I start to experience love. I start when I look at people, rich or poor, I find that their money can never define them anymore. Because it's not about what you do for God or how much money you give to God or what you do for the church or if you are rich or poor or whatever. The Old Testament law of you are cursed if you are poor and those kind of things doesn't count anymore because there's a new way in which people are defined. This is a human being. He's the God kind. His sins were, were paid for. If I can come and acknowledge the good news that his sins has been paid for to him and he can say with his mouth that I acknowledge that I am holy, acceptable. I'm not damnable. I'm not rejected. I am acceptable to God. I'm accepted by what Christ has done for me. Should he do that, what will he do? He will then experience the perfect will of God. And the perfect will of God was not for you to build a temple or serve with hands. The perfect will of God was for you to have a love relationship with him wherein his love influences you and then that new life you experience will be a life where you find you naturally love people. You pray about people. You know, you, you, you want to help. You want to give. Glory to God. When you see a need, there's just something in your heart that arises that says, I want to meet that need. Because this is now not born from an outside commandment, but it's born from a design, from the way God originally planned it, who you are. Amen. So repentance... When we repent, it's not when we try to leave our sin. 
when we repent is when we realize um, that we start to think from a different platform. That's what he says there. He says, therefore God calls all people to repent. You were thinking, you must build a temple and serve, but God is calling all people now. He's overlooked the time of ignorance. But now he's come and revealed in Christ why we are here, who we are. He's given the new platform from where we can think, clearly portrayed in the death and resurrection of Christ. Now he calls all people to repent. And we cannot mix these things. Let's not mix the temple building and the serve with hands with the new. Because you cannot take the new wine and pour it out in an old wineskin. It will burst the thing. I've warned many people, people watching via the internet, you know. I would rather come and speak to your leaders and, 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 and get the message to your leaders than come to your church, you know, and uh, your church maybe doesn't believe this truth and just preach it in your church. It will bring harm. It will bring harm to your church. We will rather take it to the leaders and see them believe it and change the whole wineskin, you know, and take a new wineskin and say, this is the wineskin now, is not the wineskin of serving with man's hands anymore, wherein we try to pour out the grace message. No, we've got the wineskin of God served man. And then pour the grace message out into that, and then the wine will be preserved. Hallelujah. Amen. So this is a fundamental difference. You know, it sounds small, but it's a fundamental difference in gospel. I can actually say it's not even the same gospel I believed years ago. It's got nothing to do with it. This, the other gospel I believed was my work for God. The other gospel I believed, as Bertie Brits, even going around preaching it, was the one where you need to serve God with your hands for He's in need of something. But this gospel is God served man. And he was having such a wonderful life in heaven and said, let us make a being that can share in this quality of life. And then he made man. Galatians 3, and I'm going to end off with these two verses. Well, it's two passages. Galatians 3 verse 1, it says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? In the Afrikaans say, Weet jylle betover dat jylle nie waarheid nie gehoorsam sal wees nie. Whose, uh, before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth, crucified among you. This only learn I of you. Receive ye the Spirit by the works of the law or the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it were in vain? He therefore that ministers to you the Spirit and works miracles among you, does he do it by the law, or by the hearing of faith? Even as Abraham believed God, and was accounted to him for righteousness, know you therefore that they which are of faith, the same are children of Abraham. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In you shall all nations be blessed. So then, they which, are, they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it's written, Cursed is everyone that doesn't continue in all the things that are written in the book of the law to do them. I say, Galatians 5 verse 16. I say then, 
walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. <laughs> this is beautiful. <laughs> he says, listen, Abraham, when was Abraham righteous? When he was circumcised or when he was uncircumcised? When he was uncircumcised. And then the circumcision was a sign of his righteousness. So when did he become righteous? When he believed God. Now what did God tell him? He said, you'll be blessed. He said, blessed are you, Abraham. And he believed, God blessed me. That's all he did. He believed God blessed him. And God said, you are righteous. You can believe, you believe what I say. That is accounted to you for righteousness. Long before any Ten Commandments were given, long before he was circumcised or anything, he was righteous because he could believe that God declares him blessed. So God comes in Jesus Christ, takes away the sin of all people, makes all people acceptable before him. Now we come with a message of, you are acceptable before God because of the finished work of Jesus. Those who can believe it, God says that thing you've done by believing that you are innocent, that your sins are forgiven, that you are acceptable, is accounted to you for righteousness. You've done the right thing. That's why the Bible says, when Christ comes, we will receive what we've done in our body. What have you done in your body when Jesus said to you, your sins are forgiven? Did you say, oh God, you're a liar. You know, I will keep the law and I'll be innocent by obeying the law. What have you done in your body? While you were in the body, what have you done in your body? I, in my body, have presented my body righteous, blameless, before God. Not by my works, but by acknowledgement of His work. I present myself holy, blameless. And you first have to acknowledge that you are holy and blameless and acceptable before a holy, blameless life will come forth in you. That's what He says there in uh, Romans 12. He says, acknowledge, present your body a holy, blameless, acceptable. That is what you should do if you want to do something. That's what you do. You do what God does. God calls you that. And when you call yourself that, you will experience the wonderful, perfect will of God, which is for you to have a love relationship with Him, wherein He lives His life in you, and you effortlessly experiences what it is to love people. To love yourself. Come on. To give to others. Free from effort, but a nature that's born in you. Amen. That's so much different than, well, you know, if you don't live right, God one day is going to open the books and He's going to look at everything you've done right or wrong. He's going to stand there with a rotang, you know, and then He's going to punish you for every wrong thing you've done. Or, I remember when I was a child, I, I, was still, I would run and hit my toe, you know. I don't know why, I, was, I, I, I always bumped my feet. No, I hate to wear shoes. And then I would say, God, what have I done wrong? What have I done wrong? You know? Because I would connect pain with punishment and sin. That's just the way I've always been thinking. And we think of it the very same way today. If that car breaks for the tenth time, it's not God punishing you. If you drive a 1972 car, the devil attacks old cars. <laughs> it's just the way it is. You know? And then you want to drive a thing made by human hands and you want to experience God's perfection by how that thing performs, even if it's new. 
They make vehicles to break so they can sell parts so they can keep the company running. And now we want to declare our blessedness on this thing that has been designed by the engineer only to last until the warranty is over. Now we, we, we blessed, oh, oh God, you know. Now I want to use 10 scriptures to get this broken thing to work. I don't say God cannot do a miracle. But He can. He can do anything. That's good. He can make the thing run without fuel. That's possible. I've seen that before. <laughs> I've seen miracles in my life. But to define who I am by how I've worked for God and how blessed my car is or if my roof leaks or not or whatever. Listen. That's just stupid. It is not the platform from where we experience God. The experience you can have about God over your life is I am fully accepted. Doesn't matter what. He loves me. Nothing can separate me from His love. Nothing. Nothing can ever declare me cursed anymore. The only thing that can cause me to feel cursed is if I'm under the law. That's what He says there. So here we clearly see in Galatians 5, he says, Who has bewitched you? Have you received the Holy Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? And now it says, I think it's in verse 14. Mm, I didn't copy 14 here. It says, But if you are... Let's read from verse 16 again. It says, then, then I say, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. Um, and these are contrary to one another, so that you cannot do the things that you really want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh, or the works of being under the law, are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, adultery, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations. This is the fruit of trying to live by works righteousness. You know, I've, I've seen, I've, I've worked with church for many years in my life. And I would see, you know, church, and I don't want to badmouth any church here. I'm talking about the principle here. Everything looks very holy, but the way in which they deal with people... Is not holy. It's not holy. It's it's unrighteous. They they it, uh, people with money is loved, and the poor are kicked out. I don't say that from hurt. I'm just saying it as an observation. I'm quoting James one, and James two. James said, "Look how many." Are, that, that God has chosen, that are poor, are very rich in faith. And you, as legalistic, a legalistic church, are tramping underfoot the poor, but the rich are those that, that pull you to the courts and judge you. Why do you love the rich and hate the poor? Aren't you fleshly? That's what he says there. Aren't you fleshly or in the flesh? Because the, the, in the flesh, the Jewish system judged people, when they are rich, they are the blessed of God, because Deuteronomy 28 said, if you obey all these commandments, you shall be blessed. If you are not rich, it means God has cursed you, because you have not obeyed His law. Now, the whole platform has changed. And He comes and He says, look at the poor. 
The poor are rich in faith. The whole platform from where we experience God has changed. We don't have to be rich now to say, I experience God loving me. We can say, even when I felt depressed, God loves me. Even if you've done something wrong, you've got the full right to experience God as a God that loves you. And that platform of love, you can go to God and say, God, I see that something is producing this negative fruit in me, but your love can bring forth your life in me as well, that I don't even have to experience this negative thing. Hallelujah. So look at the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, the fruit of the flesh, the fruit of being legalistic. It's the worst thing that you can ever imagine. And then the fruit of the Spirit, what is the Spirit? To believe that the Spirit of God raised Jesus up from the dead and placed a man in the Godhead and then to say, I receive the same Spirit that Christ has because the Spirit can now indwell me. Why? For He took away all my sins and rebuilt the temple which is us and I received the Spirit that raised Him from the dead. And that Spirit that had power over death has got power over whatever kills my life and the Spirit brings forth a new life in me and what I've always desired, I can now have. Effortless. But under the law, you were doing window shopping. You could only look at what you must have, but you can never have it. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So where does that leave us? You know, if we go home, where does that leave me as a person in everyday life? Very simple. In everyday life, we present our bodies holy, acceptable unto God. And from there, we, will, we can have an expectation for Him to live His life in us. You know, I, I live on this earth, and I find, you know, sometimes I get, my wife says, I don't, I don't see it, but my wife says I get grumpy sometimes. You know, I, I don't know where she gets it, but you know, I believe her, because she doesn't lie. <clears throat> So, <laughs> then I get grumpy. But then I say to her, well, the only way this can change is by if the gospel brings the change. So how do you, how I present myself. In the presence of being grumpy and irritated, I can say, I present myself as holy and blameless, acceptable before God. And my heart, that my heart can believe that truth. And when your heart believes that truth, you find the resurrection power. That's when you are in the Spirit. Come on, man. Amen. In the presence of something that's wrong, you can be fully in the Spirit by what you, how you present your body. And then you'll find the resurrection power make you experience His quality of life. That's how we live in everyday life. Glory to God. Let us pray together. Father, I want to thank you that we can be here. Thank you for this wonderful message. Thank you, Father, for everybody that's in this fellowship. Father, this fellowship, I present and I say, is holy, above reproach, blameless, a living sacrifice unto you because of what you have done. And this congregation shall experience your perfect will wherein we will see love, the experience of peace, the experience of joy, welling up in our hearts so much it will flow over to the whole community where people can experience the same no condemnation 
geen veroordeling nie. Thank you, Father, for that. Thank you, Father, that we can stand here and we can experience that when we look at ourselves, we look like in a, a, a crystal clear glass, beautiful, spotless, because of the blood of Jesus. Thank you that you came and represented mankind, that we don't have to represent ourselves, but that we can be in Christ. Thank you that we could hear this word and believe it. And Holy Spirit, thank you for empowering us to preach this message to our friends, to those around us, giving us strategies on just how to do it, that people will not feel uh, um, offended, but that we can do it in a way that, that a door is opened for us, that we can have utterance, that we can speak in a way, that we can impact our friends and our family members with this message. For we want all of them to believe this as much as what you have. This desire we have, we know it's your desire. That's why we have it. We're not ignorant to think that you think outside of our heads. You think inside us. You feel inside us. And we can think and feel with you. And we are one with you. Thank you for that, Father. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. amen.